Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. And I think one of my favorite exercises, I usually did this early in the year, was to ask the children to hold one note, everyone singing the same vowel. And then I'd identify a few people to sing too loudly and just kind of overtake the sound. Mm. And then we go back to neutral and then I say, okay, now a few of you under sing. Don't sing loudly enough, don't match your neighbor. And then this really muffled quality came into the sound of the course. And then the third step, of course, was that everyone, please contribute equally. And they could hear it. It's just, there was a ring and an exquisite quality in the sound that didn't happen at any other moment until everyone was giving equally. Hello, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, I have Academy Award and Emmy Award winner Frida Lee Mock, who is a director, writer, and producer of feature-length and short-form theatrical documentary films, five of which had Academy Award nominations. We will be talking today about her latest film release called The Choir and Conductor. We also have Anne Tomlinson on today's episode, which the film is based on. She has served as the artistic director of Los Angeles Children's Chorus from 1996 to 2018, overseeing the educational and artistic development of the chorus and conducting LACC's renowned concert choir and chamber singers. Anne and uh, Frida, I just I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. We're delighted Thank to you be for here. The opportunity. Thank you. You know, I I just finished watching the film myself, and as I was sharing with you before we started recording, it was phenomenal. I was absolutely in love with it. I, you know, was was I started watching it, and then one of my kids needed me for something, and I had to pause it, and I had to come back to it, and I couldn't wait. I literally could not wait for them to. Uh, they were actually going to bed, and one one person, one of them got up, and I had to go, you know, take care of them and come back and watch the film, and I just couldn't wait for them to fall asleep because I just <laughs> couldn't wait to finish the end. It was so beautifully written. It was so beautifully made. Um, Frida obviously is, is the director. I mean, you just did a a phenomenal job telling Anne's story and Anne as a human being, you were just a phenomenal person. So (laughs) (laughs) yes. Great. All those. It's a great way to start the morning (laughs) to be talking to therapy beyond therapy. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Right. Right. Um, But you know, my daughter, she's, um, she's an eight year old little girl right now. And she has been asking, um, dying to take singing lessons. I mean, she just keeps asking and asking and asking. And there's a, there's a place here in town that I have her on the wait list for, because, you know, there's, there's only so many teachers and, and so forth. And of course, it's not something they get in schools. And so she, um, 
she she does a little bit of choir at church. Um, she's done a couple things there, and she actually just got a solo part in one of the Easter service, um, uh, you know, children's choir um, sessions. And she was just ecstatic about it, and she just loves singing. Um, you know, we love the arts, and so just making this film, um, you know, telling the story, um, encouraging children to um, pursue the arts and engage in the arts, I think is just um, such a wonderful thing because I think it's something that all children should have in their lives. Absolutely. And she's the perfect age, age eight, to start because as an example, the Los Angeles Children's Choir, um, you know, what I loved about it when I first met the choir 20 years ago, actually, and actually we I actually did a film about them 20 years ago. Can you imagine? And it was called Sing. Yes, I did. I did read about that. Yeah. And the focus of it was how do you, how does an eight year old child with squeaky voice learn to sing? You know, it's shower singing, but beyond shower singing, what can you do? And so the film focuses on the story of the Los Angeles Children's Course and its program to create uh, um, a, a program in which kids leave learning learning the joys and, you know, uh, beauties of choral singing. And what I loved about the, this chorus, because it's world-renowned now since the 20 years I, I first did that one film, sure. um, is that uh, the philosophy that Anne, the conductor, talks about is is that they hope the kids leave the program, not becoming divas or great famous, you know, or whatever, you know, sure. but that they, they leave learning how to read music and to appreciate music and the arts and singing. And but what happens at eight years old that you may know out of this chorus, though they didn't necessarily create divas, but one of their more well-known graduates who started at eight and left at 14 because she became so viral is Billie Eilish. Yes. She was uh, Miss you know, Conductor Tomlinson was, you know, her teacher and conductor and, uh, it's just a program that um, doesn't necessarily create, you know, famous people, but it inevitably it does happen. And both, both actually Billy and her brother were, were um, choristers yeah, starting exactly. at an early age. Yeah. So, and, and children yeah. at this age, their voice is so special. It's so beautiful. And as parents look for opportunities, I hope, for their children to sing, um, the I'm obviously a proponent of the choral setting because not only do they develop their own voice, but they learn to listen to others, to be a part of a group endeavor. And I, as I encourage parents to look for someone who will honor the gentle quality of children's voices and help them develop that as naturally. Yes, I love that. And so I just can't wait to get her started. Uh, like you said, it's beyond the actual singing. It's beyond the music. It's it's There's so much more. We're going to dive into that a little bit more in the podcast today um, as we go through everything. But of what it means to be part of this group. And uh, I know you've, you've done traveling. And like I said, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but <laughs> yeah. we'll definitely talk about all the benefits, um, you know, that that this chorus, you know, brings brings to this age group. So, um, but let's start first. Um, Frida, I'd love to ask you, um, just for everyone who hasn't seen the film yet, um, who isn't familiar with um, the wonderful work that you did on this film, um, in your own words, what is the film about and what inspired you to make it? Well, the film, The Choir and Conductor, 
uh, it's a feature length uh, documentary film, um, is about a musical tour taken by the Los Angeles Children's Choir, which is world renowned now since 20 years ago when I met them. Um, uh, they're taking a tour, a music tour to Iceland and Norway. And it turns out, um, you know, music tours happen um, to, I think, commonly for many groups. But uh, this tour was very special because it, it coincided with the conductor and artistic director, Ann Tomlinson's final music tour after 22 years developing this world-renowned choir over the 20 years that uh, I had when I first had met the choir. Um, and so it was an opportunity to tell the story of not only the music tour and the impact these kids had on the citizens and the towns, you know, that they um, visit, but also the impact of this tour on the student, on the choristers uh, on any, any year in which they are going to be saying goodbye to a, a conductor and a person and a woman who has had a profound impact on their lives. So the film was an opportunity for um, the director, me, <laughs> to <laughs> tell the story about what happens when you give a woman a chance to conduct? Because when you see the story, and as we know, many women um, have a really challenge entering certain fields, certainly. Sure. Uh, and in the case of Ann Thomason, when she graduated from um, a musical graduate school, um, she had aspirations, but she wasn't sure what, because there were no there very few, there were no women conductors. So here we have this woman conduct this conductor who happens to be a woman, and and I wanted the, the audience to see what happens because of this person who happens to be a woman. So it it um it's, it was a chance to to really tell a story that um is was uh, quite remarkable when you you look at what the what the choristers say about her. Yes, and, and, and when you see how they how they perform and how they sing. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of which, and I was going to ask this later on in the interview, but since since we brought it up now, I'd love to ask you, Anne, um, you know, you have been a woman in a male-dominated position. What was that like for you? Well, my first love actually um, was orchestral music, but there simply was no opportunity when I was um, completing my graduate degree for a woman in the instrumental field. So, of course, education was open to me, and choral conducting is a more open field for women than instrumental music. And so I just knew there were certain barriers that I was not going to be able to break down as a single person, a single woman, but how could I use what I felt were my gifts to um, help people sing together? And so, you know, it's a like life. You find a way through. You you find a passion, and then you discover a, an expected journey. I never took a class in children's music education, but mm -hmm. uh, they taught me along the way, and it turned out to be just a remarkable opportunity. Yes, of course. Well, you've done it beautifully. So, um, which we're going to get to a little uh, later because. You know, working with the age group that you that you taught um, is quite challenging. So I'm going to 
you know, let everyone <laughs> think about that for a minute and leave, leave them hanging just for a second. And we'll get back to that in a bit because, um, you know, even just that age group alone and working with the age group um, normally is very challenging for a lot of parents and teachers and, and whatnot. And you just had such a remarkable effect on them and influence on them. I just want to know your secrets <laughs> so that <laughs> all the parents out there listening can, can you know, glean off of that. But, um, but before we get there, um, I, I just want to talk about obviously as a, as a licensed therapist and someone who works um, pretty much exclusively with children at this point. Um, you know, I know the film, it was just, like I said, so beautifully made. Um, I want to talk about some of the themes of the film. Um, it speaks on on the lifelong mental health and confidence building benefits of the arts program for children. But I wanted to ask um, both, Frida, if you want to go first, and then Anne, if you have anything to follow up on, um, what other benefits do music and the arts have on a child's mental health and well-being? And what other themes did you want to portray when making the film? Well, um, I, I found this interesting with the kids, you know, when you ask them, because they've been with this program to get to this level of traveling. They are, they're the kind of what you call the senior group. They've probably been with the program starting at age eight. But most of the kids, although there was a 12-year-old on this trip turning 13, um, yes, they've been sick. They've been with the program four or five years, and when I asked them, you know, what do you, um, what do you like about this, you know, sing, you know being here? They said, um, I'm having fun, and I'm with my friends. It was a given that they love singing, but they, I think, every one of them said, I'm having fun, and um, I'm with my friends, and it says something about the, you know, what what is. What gives kids, you know, uh, what gets them engaged and excited sure. is it's that. It's not saying I'm learning, you know, conjugations or I'm learning, you know, how to divide, you know, or they, it's a right. you're doing that. But if you're having fun doing that, it just made me think uh, that's a pretty profound statement. I said, I think we grownups can learn from that as well. So that, yeah. that was something that just sort of popped out because you see them, um, you know, it was amazing, as uh, Anne, the conductor, said that, you know, when they spontaneously sing, oftentimes, you know, what songs do they choose? You know, they gravitated constantly to that incredibly beautiful but challenging story of uh, when he is silent, a, a song that took place in a concentration camp during World War II. And as you know, in the film, the story culminates in their seeing this the this piece in the setting of the cathedral in in um it was at um oslo um so you know when you hear fragments of the kids singing this you know on the streets and you see the reaction of the people just their their jaws are dropping you see them in the um the peace hall at in oslo where the uh, the um, nobel peace prize is given and spontaneously sing the same song, and so it was an op- It was just interesting how um, it, it, it spoke so deeply to them because right. it was sung by children actually in the Theresienstadt Theresienstadt concentration camp, uh, where they sang with hope in the darkest times. Right. So it, it's just sort of interesting how how music and the arts spoke so deeply given the 
the joy of being together. I guess, you know, all, it, it, it was very interesting from my perspective, thinking, oh, I was going to tell the story of this and this. But this was a constant refrain. The kids had a, they had such fun on this trip. But they learned so much about themselves and, of course, music. And sure. How much? And what's great is, as you know, the music is off. It ranges from the classical music songs to you know uh, just everyday songs. And um, and yet, when you ask them what's what song, what kind of music you like, it ranges from heavy metal, you know, to opera to Frank Sinatra. It's it's just interesting how yes. how uh, a program like this allows them to really find their own gifts, but also expand who they are as kids. I I believe arts are so important. They develop the whole child. They develop the spirit of the child, certainly the mind and the body, the physical nature of singing or any artistic endeavor. It it, um, is so widely enhancing (laughs) to the person. Um, And when they do this in a shared art form, you know, they learn about responsibility to other people. They learn to listen really carefully to others. But they also have to go through a lot of self-assessment. Um, but I think the thing I love in particular about group art is that it allows them self-expression but in a really positive, safe environment. Mm-hmm. So that things that maybe they can't talk about, they can sing about. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's very profound and beautiful. And that's exactly the reason why I love doing play therapy so much. So I, I do play therapy. It's my specialization. And a lot of the children, and I work with little ones sometimes. I mean, I have children as young as two years old that I that I come that come see me for therapy. And, you know, some of the kids that I work with don't have the speech and language, maybe mm-hmm. they're developmentally or, <clears throat> you know, for other reasons. Um, and some that have that have the capacity to talk to me don't necessarily want to. Kids, mm-hmm. talk therapy doesn't really work with children that much. <laughs> so, you know, they express themselves. They they heal from their traumas. They um, are able to work through their problems and understand and conceptualize their world through play and through mm-hmm. toys and through sand train, all the different, you know, techniques I use. And it's not by talking to me. Um, it's talking to my puppet or it's drawing a picture in the sand or on a piece of paper. And it's usually through some type of play or art. And mm-hmm. I, as I watched the film, Anne, I remember you know, I'm glad we're talking today. I'd love to meet you in real life one day because I, I just felt like some of the same philosophies that I use in play therapy, you 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 were using, you know, conducting this choir um, because it, it was the same type of philosophies, um, you know, that I feel like really mend and align together about how to work with children. So mm-hmm. I love that you just said that. <laughs> Good. Um, so, you know, going, going a little beyond that, and I want to continue this otherwise known as Mrs. T, by the way, if you watch the film, you'll know that all the children called you Mrs. T. Um, and, and as Frida was saying, you oversaw and conducted, um, the Los Angeles children's course for 22 years, which is incredible. Um, you know, in the film, and I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, as Frida mentioned, it was your farewell tour. It was your last year with the chorus. Um, what was it like saying goodbye, um, you know, 
not just on film, but in, you know, what was it like being there after that, that length of time with all those children, some you probably worked with for maybe a decade or close to a decade. Um, What was it like to say goodbye? I I know I was crying. Um, It's it's the final scene when you're, when you're going around in the circle, hugging all the children one by one and they're crying, you're crying. I was crying. I literally had tears (laughs) in my eyes watching. That's how deeply affected it is when you watch this film. Like when you're in it, like you're in it. So um, I know what it was like for me as the viewer watching it and just feeling that moment, but I'd love for you to put in words what it was like for you to say goodbye and, um, you know, and just, you know, what it was like in that moment for you. Well, I've seen the film several times and Frida in her brilliance um, makes me cry continually, uh, even though I've seen <laughs> it so many times. It's, it certainly was a very difficult thing to do. Uh, you know, you invest yourself so deeply in those children and in their um, endeavors. But but it was time. Um, I just felt, for me personally, it was time. And I'm a person who thinks that children deserve the best, <laughs> the best teachers, the best guides, the best of everything. Uh, if you can start them off well when so young, it will give them many strengths and for the, to face whatever they do in the future. And I just thought, no, it's time. Let's make sure that there's um, someone in their lives that can always lead and guide them. And, and so it, it, it felt devastatingly right, yeah. <laughs> I could say. Um, and I just, I, um, I hope, and the best, and, and for me, along with this beautiful film that Frida created, the legacy I hope I left is in the lives of these children, that they will always learn and grow and, and find beauty and strength inside. Mm, I love that. And absolutely, I know this film will do that and 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 share with the rest of the world, really, um, your legacy. And because now that it's documented in film, um, it, it will live forever, you know, even beyond our time, it'll live on forever. Um, and and like that's it, what pleases me, as, yes. as you know, as we know, historically, women have been overlooked, quote unquote, which is a title that the New York Times assigns to, I guess, actually, they on occasion will do obituaries of women that they've overlooked that should have been, you know, at a time when they never acknowledged women, you know, yes. such as the, the, the great um, architect Morgan, you know, um, California Morgan. architect. But, and, and so I said, this is fantastic. Uh, when I was asked to do the film, I said, this is a, a chance to really see what genius to me is about. How do you, how do you conduct, how do you create an orchestra, you know, excuse me, not an orchestra, how do you create a, a world-renowned choir in this case, you know, what does it take? And, and so the film was an opportunity to actually see what I think is an incredible conductor and incredible genius at working with young people. And respecting young, and she respects the young people. It, it's what I, they say it's tough love. I mean, she has high, the program has high expectation for the kids because they believe the kids can do it. And the kids, you can see, are thankful because they, you can tell, have received so much from being a part of, uh, of this uh, choir and having particularly conductor Mrs. T in their lives as a role model and as, as a musician and as a woman, really. 
Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and like Anne was saying, Frida, you just have such a beautiful way to portray and bring your audience in. Like she said, you know, when, when I watched it, I'm sure when others watch it, they are feeling like they are in that moment and it evokes so much emotion. Um, Do you get, do you hear that a lot as a director? I mean, do you hear that your work is just so transforming to your audience that they feel like they're actually in the film? Like, I felt like I was traveling with them. I felt like, how come they're not hugging me? I want to hug everybody. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When you try, yeah, you think, well, I, it, you know, are they with you? Yeah. I, I, I try to, I think, however it works, have, make it an immersive experience, however you do that, you know, that they feel really just, I guess, sucked in, so to speak, you know, that they're, uh, they're just um, captivated. And, yes. um, and, and so thank you. I, I, I've, I've had comments. I actually, I, I, a friend told me she watched it four times, you know, and had to pop the Kleenex <laughs> each time, you know, I said, four times, what are you doing? <laughs> but, but at this time, you know, given the, the, uh, the challenges we have, I mean, music and, you know, beauty and the arts in this case, children, children, teens, they're inspiring to us. And I think, I, I think that this, it's a time that people particularly embrace such such uh, stories, you know. And, oh, sure. And even yeah. just you hear so many things out there and, and me being a therapist, you know, dealing more when when there is issues and when there is problems and challenges. Um, you know, you, you I, I write a lot of articles on how to reduce risk factors, you know, how to help children who are in trouble, who I do a lot of alcohol and drug prevention in, in that age group. I've done school assemblies and, and whatnot. And to see that the, the, this, that there's teenagers out there, that there's tweens and teens and it, children in this age group that are, are doing something so um, proactively positive and healthy, um, not yeah. only for their mental health, but their emotional health um, and social, their social, emotional, like being friends and getting along and working as a group. Um, it's nice to see that it's possible because I think a lot of times the society, our society, sometimes gives up gives up on that age group, um, mm-hmm. or just makes excuses for them. Oh, well, they're teenagers, and just that's how they're going to be. And you know, we worry about them all the time, and you know, they're this and that, and they're you know have all these behavior problems and things. And it's nice to see that you were able to portray that age group in such a way that gives us hope. That, you know, that there's some exactly. really good kids out there. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, you know, so I'll, I'm going to jump jump to a question since we're kind of on that topic. Um, I'm going to go back to Anne. Um, you know, you know, as we mentioned earlier, I kind of teased a little bit earlier that that that, you know, t- you know, 10 to 18 um, age group is is a pretty difficult age group sometimes to parent um, mm-hmm. and even to teach sometimes. Um, so I just wanted to ask you your your expertise advice on how you how you got that group, the, the group of, you know, um, you know, um, middle school and high schoolers to respect you so much. I mean, they, you can tell in the film that they truly admired you. They looked up to you. Um, any tips for parents with teens or teachers who are teaching teens out there and how to connect positively and effectively with children in that age group? I'm not a parent, although I guess I have parented quite a few children in a certain way of looking at it. Oh, sure. But, but I just found, um, I was thinking about this the other day and just, what are the things that 
they responded to. I mean, you can see immediately in a child's eyes and demeanor if you're connecting to them or not. And, you know, of course, things that we all know and sometimes are hard to implement, but just respecting who each individual is and giving them the honor that they deserve. Um, the thing about being a choir director is that you truly have to listen very, very deeply to every moment of rehearsal, not only when they're singing, but, you know, those times when they're looking for the next piece of music, you know, just being fully present with them and really, really intentional about being there with them. Frida's absolutely right. We set pretty high expectations for the children. But then there's also a sequence of developmental steps that we put in place to help them be able to achieve. The choir that's on the film is the fifth of a whole sequential program. So, you know, we don't just take a child and go, oh, guess what? You're going to Norway and Iceland. No, <laughs> we help them build touring ability by doing maybe a little overnight and a weekend. And, and so putting steps in place to meet those expectations. And then right. I, I try to be pretty honest about my own mistakes or my own lack of understanding. I, the kids always seem to be surprised happily when I said, you know, I'm not sure about that. Can I have some more time to think? Or I just try to be totally who I was and to be forthright and respectful, I guess. Uh, yes, I love that. And such for, you know, like you said, for not actually having your own children, that's probably one of the most profound, um, insightful, thoughtful, intentional, um, and effective advice I've ever heard about being, you know, in that, you know, uh, I guess teaching and parenting in that age group. So um, I, I, was, I was trying to write it down at the same time, but I know this is going to be recorded so I can listen to it later. But I was like, oh, that I, I, I feel like that should be like a billboard, you know, for all parents. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you truly have a gift, Anne, and you have a gift um, working with children, not only musically, musically, absolutely, you have a, a beautiful gift, um, but then also a gift of working with children and and especially working in that age group, um, it's difficult to do. And you, you just did it so effortlessly. Well, the one, there's something in the film where she says, you know, what does it take to conduct with children? You know, how, how can you reach them on a level that will achieve what's good for them and, and for the, the program? And she says she, that you see music through the eyes, through the eyes of children. Yes. You, you really, that she, she, looks at it you know she tries to bring it um from that perspective and and i think um really being other, in other in other words and being someone else in somebody else's shoes and yes being empathetic and teaching the teaching the music in a language that they understand i know i remember that as you know something else that was mentioned in the film um and i do remember that part too so sorry and what were you going to say i just um yes i remember that part and and i loved that i actually wrote it down as something i was going to talk about today too so i'm glad you brought that up um it, i think also i mean it's really looking inside the mind like how does the mind and it's kind of scary going in there but to, to see how the mind of young people work and just watching to see what they respond to and what makes sense to them. And 
it's quite a challenge. I, I find often now I, I speak in such short sentences and, and try to codify everything so carefully. And I think it's just because I was used to working with young people who, you know, smaller bits of information, but impactful words. Yes, exactly. And I know you were quoted um, a few years back in the LA Times, and it was the quote, I must have children in my life. I find the greatest joy in being with them. Um, so since we're on the topic, uh, I know you've, you've alluded to it a little bit um, already, but do you have anything else you want to add about what you learned by working with children in that age group or just just children in general over the years? What did you learn about yourself or about life? Um, like you said, seeing seeing the world or seeing music and seeing the arts through through their eyes. What did you learn? Well, I always love being with children. I mean, what? To this day, when I walk past a playground, I, it's the happiest sound in the world to me. Just to, to oh, it is. be around that, that. And I just love the inquisitive spirit of young people. They're always open to learning. They have an open heart. They're not closed. Many children are not closed off. If Again, you can create this feeling of safety for them. Um, children have such strength and such flexibility. There's just a gentle openness to them that has inspired me in every component of my life. I just think children are the best thing on the planet. <laughs> they really are. They are. <laughs> I love, you know, it's funny because a lot of my colleagues, a lot of people um, that I was getting my doctorate with, um, you know, we all moved in different directions and we all have different niches and, and whatnot in the therapeutic field. Um, but even my own husband, who's a clinical psychologist, you know, can't fathom working with kids. He works with <laughs> adults and, you know, couples and, um, you know, a, a whole different um, audience than, than I do. Um, and, you know, people always ask me, how, you know, how do you work with kids? How, you know, it's just my passion. You know, I, I was in school and I was going to be a couples therapist. I, you know, loved the book, um, women are from Mars, women are from Venus from Dr. John Gray from, you know, years and years back. Um, a pretty famous book. And, but I thought that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I had my heart set on when I started schooling and halfway through my master's program, I, I took a play therapy class and it, you know, involved toddlers and preschoolers and small children. And I just, it just, it hit me like a slap in the face. A light bulb just went off and I never have looked back since. And there's not that many people in my field that actually work with, with children. Actually in my area of Southern California, there, um, I mean, it's like a 50 mile radius. I'm the only mm -hmm. one that works with kids. And so I'm sought after in, in this area because there's just not enough of people who mm -hmm. want to work with kids or maybe can work with kids. You know, it, it definitely takes a, a very... Um, I guess just a, a very a different kind of person, I suppose, to to do that. And I love that you have that that same. Both of you, you know, have that same passion for children as I do. Um, and I wish there was more of us, but um, but definitely even yeah. in my field, you, you don't see it often. Um, but it just I can't imagine anything different. I I. I stay away from working with adults <laughs> with a 10 <laughs> I I have so enough of my own problems. <laughs> yes. Um, but kids just refresh me. You know, I was very exhausted. It's very mindfully exhausting to, you know, sometimes to 
you know, do back to back sessions, you know, every day and, you know, hearing problem after problem and trying to help others and hold that space for them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know I just couldn't do it. But when I'm with, when I'm working with a child, that hour session goes by quickly and I feel like I could keep going. They they almost re-energize me and reinvigorate mm-hmm. me through a session. Right. So absolutely. Where it doesn't absolutely. feel like you're working at all. <laughs> so and They're funny and they're fun. They're fun and funny. Yes. Yes, they are. They are. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. Frida, I'm going to go back to you. It's AAPI month. um, And I'd love to hear from you. What does it mean for you to be an Asian American director? Um, I know you're also a mom and a grandmother. um, And and curious to know if you've had any challenges in the film industry being an Asian American director or or otherwise, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? and, And what has your experience been like? Yes. Thanks for the question. And uh, yeah, this May is designated Asian, what Asian American Pacific Islander Islander Heritage Month. And I guess each yes. month, you know, is designated to other um, groups that may not have uh, as much spotlight, let's say, uh, as let's say Western Europeans. Let's say that. And I, that's why you wonder why is there a Women's Month in was it March and and African-American month. and uh, But it's just the reality is um, I think our country wants to put a spotlight on, you know, the, the fact that our, our, our country is very rich in the, in the many immigrant groups that come here and we want to honor their part in our development as yes. a country. So uh, it means a lot, I guess, to put a spotlight. And uh, as a director, um, I guess you know that the adjective. Uh, my friends who happen to be women and say others, let's say African American or Asian, you know, we've kind of balanced. Are we directors or are we filmmakers or are we Asian American directors? You know, and all that. And uh, I must say, I, I've always sort of said I want to direct or I want to produce, but I didn't say I'm an Asian American director. Others may say that, although I, I don't think. That that consciousness of identity is sort of more in the recent past. Sure. Because I, you know, I started maybe 30 plus years ago and it was just, we just wanted to work, right? Right. And, and so I just was lucky that I said, I want to do, to make doc, I just wanted to make documentary films is what happened, you know, and that meant directing and writing and producing. And, and I was lucky that I, you know, had the opportunity. It's all about, I, I think that's the big key issue is having the opportunity in the way that. Uh, Ann Thomason had the opportunity to conduct because she certainly had the gifts in terms of training and interest and passion. Exactly. And so, yeah. So in my case, um, it was great that I was, I have been able to, to do what I crazily said I wanted to do. You know, I woke up one day and said, I want to, I want to make documentary films. And I look back, Oh my goodness, I did it. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but um, being an eight, I think, if one, if I am a role model, I'm really happy. And I guess sometimes, you know, you, you know, you know, you're, I think we just are people, right? Sometimes we just do what we do. And then people give these, these names to you. I said, Oh, okay. If I've been influential, I'm really delighted. And I'm of course happy to particularly, I'm very, very particularly mindful of supporting women and women's empowerment. That's just been something. And it's maybe because I, Maybe the vo- our voices haven't been heard as much, and I find our voices really interesting. And so I, my, my stories often gravitate to those voices that haven't been heard, I think. And yeah. they, they can range from – actually, I've done stories on veterans. 
you know, POW, a, a, a whole range maybe because they hadn't been heard from. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did a film on um, uh, POWs out of the Vietnam War and no one had oh. heard their story. So in that respect, then maybe it's stories that are fresh and unknown that I find really exciting to explore in, in the work. And whatever yeah. hats people want to say about me, I'm happy to say. <laughs> so, so well, I'm, I'm proudly an Asian American director. I'm proudly a director. How's that? Yes. And um, yeah, uh, but it, you, I'll conclude by saying: Was it hard? You, it, I, as Anne described, you know, in the area of choral directing, there was a, a, a greater chance of, of a woman perhaps entering that area of conducting. And so in the field of documentary filmmaking, it, it's, it's, it's an area where there are a lot more women and partly because, you know, um, the investment in it isn't as great, the, you know, it's just the reality of budgeting and such that uh, the risks aren't as great, quote unquote, whatever that means. So right, um, I, I chose a field where um, women have done very well. How's that in, in, uh, in filmmaking? Yes. And well, we have a, a high proportion of women um, in, in, in directing nonfiction films. Well, so thank, thank you for the question. <laughs> yes. No, I, I just, you know, I want to bring honor to you as a director, obviously, um, and, and as a human being, you know, um, and, you know, in the work that you've done, uh, you know, just uh, in, in your professional life and your personal life, you know, I just, um, and, and like you said, as a woman myself, um, I, and, and it's funny because um, it kind of flipped, flipped the role a little bit in, in, you know, the therapy field, it's predominantly women. And I actually met my husband in our doctoral program, and um, he was, I think, maybe one of three in the entire program that was a male. And yeah. so, good for him. Good for I, him. I know. He's, diverse, he's diversifying the field, isn't he? <laughs> yes, um, but he's you know where he went to school and he's worked predominantly with with women his entire his entire career, and you know now he's off on his own, you know, doing more private practice in his own work. Um, but, you know, but he's talked about from his perspective of what it's like to to go into a, a field that's more predominant of, you know, the other gender. And it's just really fascinating hearing it from from his perspective, too. As a woman, I feel like I'm always trying to get my voice heard or, you know, um, in, in whatever field, you know, we're in or just in general. Um, and it was interesting to see his perspective on that, too. So um, mm-hmm. so I do. I love the fresh stories. I love the the the, the stories that are being told that you're be, that you were telling. Um, you know, they're just so important to to give everyone a voice, um, you know, yes. despite where they're from or, um, you know, what despite their ethnicity, their culture, you know, even their gender, um, their profession. I think it's it's wonderful that you give voice to so many of those people. So thank you. Um, yes, and so of too. Yes. And so we have a few more questions left. I know I'm probably running a little bit over time, but you're just, uh, both of you just have so many wonderful things to say. Um, and I want to go back to you real quick and just ask, you know, I know there's, there's probably so many kids, I don't know if it's an audition process, you know, you know, to, to be part of the chorus or um, just in general, but I'd love to get your advice for anyone out there that's listening that has a child that wants to go into the arts. Um, is it possible for every child to have a potential to be a singer? I know some people, you know, some people hear a child singing in the backseat or in the shower and they say, oh, you know, that's, <laughs> um, you know, you'll need lessons or, you know, your pitch is off or whatever it is. But do you feel like every child has the potential to be a singer or especially maybe even a singer in a, in a chorus? Um, and then how do you 
how do you make each child individually feel um, like they're contributing when it's in such a group? Because when, when you hear a chorus, at least when I hear the chorus, I'll speak for myself, you know, you hear it as, as a, in totality, right? It's, it's a group effort. It's a community effort. And you hear everyone's voice at once. And sometimes I feel like for me, it's hard for me to distinguish between, you know, one particular child. Um, but how do you make each child feel um, like they're individually contributing to such a, a large group atmosphere? And then also, you know, does every child have that potential? I, barring any physical challenge that would prevent the vocal mechanism from working as it does for most people, every child can sing. Whether they'll be a world-renowned singer is probably not the offering for very many, uh. but, but everyone can do it and enjoy it. There are many studies out now that show when people saying that it's happy things are going on inside their heads. Um, and actually, when you sing in a choir, the, they've discovered now that not only the brain waves, but the heartbeat rhythm begins to meld so that everyone in this singing environment is having such a community experience and really connecting on an even biological level with other individuals. Um, so I, I, I encourage everyone to explore whatever age child it is all the way to, you know, you're 125 or whatever <laughs> to yes. have the possibility of, of singing. It's tremendously important. And then there also, there's a principle that says that the more people that are engaged in a certain activity, the less sense of responsibility each individual has for the success of the group. Mm. So a lot of my work was to ensure that each child felt honored and needed. A lot of conversations before and after rehearsal so they knew I cared. Tried in each rehearsal, even though I'm conducting you know, 60, 70, 80 children to make eye contact with them directly. Um, and I think one of my favorite exercises, I usually did this early in the year, was to ask the children to hold one note, everyone singing the same vowel. And then I identify a few people to sing too loudly and just kind of overtake the sound. Mm. And then we go back to neutral and then I say, okay, now a few of you under sing. Don't sing loudly enough. Don't match your neighbor. And then this really muffled quality came into the sound of the course. And then the third step, of course, was that everyone, please contribute equally. And they could hear it. It's just, there was a ring and an exquisite quality in the sound that didn't happen at any other moment until everyone was giving equally. So it, I just tried to do everything in my power to help them realize that no one can be too loud and too soft. And it's a great skill, I think, and our country needs people to remember that. They need, um, every voice is important and no voice should overwhelm and no voice should underwhelm. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> I'd love I, that. I'd like, to, I'd like to add that what was impressive about 
um, Mrs. T and the program is their philosophy is everybody can sing. But to get to this level that of the kids we hear on this uh, trip to Iceland, Norway, um, you know, they've gone through the stepping step, stepping step, stepping stones of going from, uh, you know, the beginning to the middle to a more complex choir. Sure. But as you notice, they all say um, they learn that it's hard work in the best sense of the word. That you, one of the kids said, um, you can't phone it in. You have to do the hard, quote unquote, meaning you have to do, put the time in. Yes. And, but that you will be rewarded. And one of the kids, Jamie, I think said, oh, what's amazing is they take ordinary singers and turn them into extraordinary singers. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. the program and the philosophy that supports that. And, and with a conductor and artistic director like Mrs. T then you have yeah they have the elements to produce what i saw in, in this uh, with, with these choristers it, it's just amazing the sound they create is not, i've never when i first heard it 20 years ago i, I was just you just you just feel it in your it was chillingly beautiful you know? oh yes it's it's yeah. commanding and also angelic i mean it's exactly. you know it's it's just it's beautiful <laughs> it's just, exactly. i can't even put into words i can't even articulate it cuz it's just yeah. it's um it's so unique and it's so phenomenal so yeah. frida let me continue in asking you how you feel about how so many schools all over the world but in our country especially are cutting back on arts programs for children I, it, it's incredibly unfortunate, but I hope that, you know, um, families I know try to raise money to help, you know, offer some programs, I, I guess, aside, outside the school. And I think we all, as concerned about our community and about our, our children, could maybe look for those programs to see what we can do to help, you know, to donate and such, because, um, it, it, as Anne said, to have music and the arts in your life has such a therapy—it's it, it, therapeutic, it's beneficial, it, it's expansive, you know. And we need it. From you know, we need it, it's so delightful to kind of work what both sides of our brain—the left, you know, the linear and the spatial and the artistic—we need both sides for balance. You know? And our children need it more than ever right now. Oh yes, it's devastating yeah. to our children and to our society. You know, because there is yes. something so special about when children, you know, offer their voices, and we all need to hear it. And as you say, Frida, it develops the whole person. I'll never forget a parent coming up to me and saying, "Oh, I've had so much trouble. I hope my son isn't acting out in rehearsal too." And this is a child I've never seen act out at all. Um, so I think just giving them a context again without where they can express themselves freely and openly and supporting them. It's tremendous. Yes, absolutely. Yes. You know, and, and I've even heard from, from parents um, and well, and just individuals, you know, saying how, <clears throat> um, I mean, music is a huge coping skill, first of all, a huge coping mechanism that I use um, daily when I, you know, ask people when they're trying to relieve stress or uh, relieve their anxiety to help their depression, whatever the case is, uh, or even relieve symptoms of, let's say, ADHD or whatever it is that I'm working with. Music is one of my go-tos on expressive arts and 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 just um 
helping them calm their body, helping them calm calm their nerves, whatever it is. Um, even if they're just kind of singing a song in their head and you, they actually don't even he- like have live music, but they have mm-hmm. a song in their head that's helping them calm before taking a test or whatever the case is. Um, as you mentioned, it's very therapeutic. And um, one of the number one coping skills I use with children and adults um, and also, I, I've heard people say, um, p- previous clients and whatnot, that music has saved their lives, um, that they were going through a traumatic experience um, at, at a time in their life and really only had music to count on and music to um, help them cope through the trauma they are experiencing and how deeply someone can be affected by hearing the sound of music or singing or playing a musical instrument. And um, like Frida was mentioning, I, I really do hope that you know, even just listening to this podcast, it inspires and, and watching your film inspires people out there to possibly contribute in some way, you know, shape or form. If it's not monetarily and they can't give a, a financial donation that maybe they can donate their time and do mm-hmm. an after school music class at the park, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. I only have one last question. And I'd love to hear um, you know, just if you have any ideas of where, you know, speaking of being involved in the arts and, and music and, and whatnot, um, whether it's, you know, LACC or or somewhere else locally, where can where can someone sign up or audition or whatever the case is to be a part of either LACC and or any other local choir? What would be your, your advice on how to get started in, into those types of, of programs? Um, it's that there's there are many children's, children's choirs, choir. community-based children's choirs uh, in the Southern California area, and um, you can probably find one in your geographical area. The LA Children's Chorus is in the Pasadena area. There's a wonderful choir in South Bay. The Southern California Children's Chorus is in Orange County. There's a San Fernando Children's Chorus. National Children's Chorus is on the west side. It's as simple as Googling and finding and encourage you to maybe listen to some of the recordings and see if it's a match. Take your child to a concert to introduce them to uh, that possibility. If an after-school program just doesn't fit for your child, um, there are, as you mentioned, your children are involved in a church choir. There's that possibility. Some schools do have after-school programs um, as well. So just do a little Google search and you'll find lots of opportunities. Mm, yes. Yeah. Actually, they say statistically one out of five persons in a family sings. And it's the most uh, performed of the, of the performance. It is the most, uh, the most popular of the performing arts. So I think if you look into their community choirs, although you're talking about children particularly, but certainly in schools, sure. that is maybe something. But um, but churches I know have have choirs, and there must be there a com- the community. I think communities are typically a place where you have a, a choir. Yes, absolutely. And for LACC, and uh, um, do children need to audition per se? I'm, I'm sure there's a cost involved or in what age group? Um, I know you said that usually starts around eight, but um, is there a specific age group? And then obviously they can they can Google to look in more into it. But um, will you just tell us a little more about how to, how to actually get into that program that, that you did for so, so many years? So lovely. Um, if your child is a little bit younger, six and seven, there are classes that are non-auditioned. And um, uh, have a small fee, and it's a great opportunity for the children to do some music games and, and learning in a really fun environment. They can see if they like it. Uh, 
for the main program, a child can quote unquote audition at age eight. I always saw the audition not as a test, but as an opportunity to get to know the child and to introduce the child to the way that LACC sings. And we do some fun activities and explore our voice and see how um, that was and let them experience just the joy and the fun of singing. And I think many community children's choirs have that same approach. And LACC is a tuition-based program, but they do have a robust scholarship program, as I believe most children's community choirs do. So, um, and then parents should be singing too. That will bring them great joy. So don't be shy about taking an hour or two a week to <laughs> and express your voice as well. <laughs> yes, I love that. Um, yeah. Well, oh, go ahead, Frida. Are we going to say something? I'm going to say there's one student who graduated from high school and uh, also from this choir. And I was stunned. He gave a talk about the impact at, 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 a, at a fundraiser uh, about the impact that the choir had on him as a person and his interest in music. And he said he'd been with a choir, LACC, for 12 years. Like, oh, my gosh. Wow. He started at six, I guess, in that introductory, you know, first impression program. So um, I guess – Whenever, uh, sooner the better to introduce kids to the yes. joys of sound and music and singing. Uh, but particularly singing, I think, that is choral singing. It is, it's not as scary as having to perform as a single violinist or a single singer, so to speak, you know, in the beginning. So I think choral singing is a great way to get into music. And uh, Absolutely. Without, yeah. Absolutely. And I had my, my daughter was watching the film with me and um, before she went to bed and, you know, at least the, the, the first part. And I know I'm going to finish it with her and watch it again. And I know it'll, I'm sure, inspire her to even do more than she's doing now. So, um, so again, you know, just thank you for your for, for, for your expertise and your passion, your talent, um, and sharing that with so many children for so many years. Um, and Frida, for making this film so beautifully and telling Anne's story. Um, the world is just a better place to have it. And like you said, just, um, just to have it as, as, as Anne's legacy continues. And um, I, one last question for you, and then we'll wrap up. But what, what have you been up to now? I know the, the film was made in 2018, and it's now 2022. And it's been four years. Um, for anyone out there who watches the film and um, falls in love with your story as much as I did, what, what are you doing these days? Or what have you been up to? Oh, uh, well, actually, the film was shot in 2018, and it was finished kind of 2021, because with the pandemic, we didn't know how can we release it. So it sort of took a little while to- Oh, get that's true. Yes. Yeah. So it was just released um, a year, a month ago. Yeah. And so it's available in, in festivals and, and some uh, theaters, but most importantly, it's on the streaming services. So if they want to see a choir and conductor, you can, uh, it's on it, you know, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Apple TV, and Voodoo. It, it's all the, if you just log in that title, they can, they uh, folks can can catch the film. And since then, actually, I've been kind of a little busy. In that. I, 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 during this time, I actually released another film, which is actually last year. It was uh, a film called Ruth, Justice Ginsburg in her own words. So um, I've been a little busy, um, sort of finishing and launching these la these last two films. And uh, being an Asian American director, as you pointed out as well, I I've been doing some work um, in, in, in doing uh, um, specific media around 
of stories around Asian Americans, particularly because of the unfortunate, um, you know, assaults that have been happening on, uh, against Asians. So we felt that there was a, mis- a misunderstanding about um, Asian Americans as being really a part of the American experience and, and, and not yes. strangers to the shore, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, I've been, I've had my hands busy, uh, sort of different projects have kept me pretty busy. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I'm excited to, to see more of your work. I'm sure everyone who's listening will as well. And thank you for sharing where people can see the documentary. Um, like you said, just people can Google it, look on streaming services, um, you know, festivals, and hopefully some some theaters. Um, they can look it up that way because I, I can't emphasize enough um, of, of what a great family film it is. And also just, you know, for everyone listening to, to watch it and, and be inspired by um, for it. But Anne, what have you been up to over the last couple of years since they since the film itself was wrapped up? Yeah. Um, well, pre-pandemic, I was actually working, uh, helping new music teachers in classroom. Uh, and I was a mentor, a practicum uh, guide for them. And that was great fun. And um, But then I needed children even more directly in my life. So I serve as a reading tutor and I'm now learning the joys of um, helping children in a one-on-one context and that's been very um, I've learned a lot from that experience and enjoyed it very much but before we go I just wanted to thank Frida for so kindly and, and wonderfully capturing the experience and Kim thank you so much for this wonderful conversation appreciate it very much Oh, well, thank you. And again, thank you both. Um, I, I, again, just want to encourage everyone to go watch the film um, and and just, you know, and, and then also secondarily, you know, get your kids involved um, in some sort of arts uh, program. Um, yes. I can't emphasize both enough. Um, so I hope that this this episode inspires, you know, parents out there to do that. Thank you so much, Dr. Kim. It's really wonderful to meet you and uh, you're wonderfully uh, inspiring <laughs> with oh, your... thank you yeah. yeah thank you so much okay thank you bye-bye bye thank you for joining us today i can't wait to have you back for more make sure to subscribe to the parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends this podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy if you or someone you know is in crisis please call 911